Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. It's Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by the founder of the Fluoride Action Network, Dr. Paul Conant, who uh, was motivated and catalyzed and felt uh, compelled to do something about the fluoride poisoning in our water system. And a large part of that was related to the fact that he has a doctorate in chemistry and is very familiar with the chemi chemistry of what's going on. So he's actually been very uh, influential in catalyzing a movement to remove fluoride from the water supplies not only in the United States, but internationally. So uh, he's going to join us today and give us an update of what's been happening. So welcome and uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Joe. Happy to be here. All right. So what's been going on? Give us what's the latest? Well, let's let's look at the most important first, our lawsuit. As you know, my son is the leading lawyer in our lawsuit against the EPA under TUSCA, under the Toxic Substances and Control Act, they allow citizens and groups to petition the EPA to end or ban the deliberate, so the use of a toxic substance and for a special use, a special purpose. So you can specify the purpose that a toxic substance is being used for and ask for it to be banned by the EPA. And we ask the EPA to ban the deliberate addition of fluoride to the drinking water. And they refused our petition in 2017, but then we took them to federal court and we had our case heard in court. It went on for two weeks and that was in 2019. Of course, then we had COVID interrupting everything, but we had a recent hearing in which the judge denied the latest uh, effort by the EPA to get the case dropped. He's uh, ruled in our favor several times now on key decisions. And what he made clear is he's, he's very interested in the science of this issue. He wants to wait before he makes his ruling. He wants to read the National Toxicology Program's final review on fluoride's toxicity, a review, incidentally, that we requested in 2016. He wants to wait until that comes out. And... He wants to wait until a risk assessment has been published based upon the latest IQ studies. Well, that BM, what we call a BMD analysis, and I can explain what that is if you're interested in a moment, that came out just a few days ago, a few days ago. So half of what the judge wants to see has um, come out now. The result of the BMD analysis is easier to give you than to explain what they do to get it. But basically, what is what is BMD short for? Bone mineral density? Benchmark dose. Okay. Benchmark dose. Well, basically, what you do is you determine, and this is a standard EPA methodology. 
you determine what effect, uh, what effect that you're interested in studying, and what level of uh, what le um, yes, what level of that effect that you're interested in, and then look at all your data, your dose response data, and determine the dose that causes that effect. Well, the effect that is chosen and selected, and this is typical of neurotoxic substances, was a loss of one IQ point. So using all your data, what would be the dose? And the dose in this case is measured in the urine of pregnant women. So we've got a lot of data of the level of fluoride in women's pregnant women's urine and the associated loss of IQ measured in their offspring. So about 800 dose pairs, single measurements of individual measurements of the pregnant woman and single measurements of the associated offspring for, of that pregnant woman. So lots of database, uh, dose pairs. And what they found, to they would predict a lowering of IQ in children if the pregnant mother's urine was at 0.2 milligrams per liter. And the average of to put that in perspective, the average in Northern California and in Canada, uh, two studies, is between eight and one part per million. So in other words, 0.2, it means... 40, 40 times more. Yeah, four, four to five times more. Now, that, okay. what that means is this is a linear relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So you could predict, based upon if this is accurate, then the average loss of IQ for children born in the United States, if their mother drinks fluoridated tap water, it's going to be between four and five points. And that's massive when you look at a whole, the impact on a whole population. Massive. So what I find really unusual in light of what's going on in the last year is that a judge has been assigned to this case that actually seems to be authentically interested in, in uh, coming up with a fair decision most of the time it's all political and I, they I, just I, whitewash it it's, it's kind of shocking and surprising it, to see that they're it really very intelligent yep no we were trepidatious to say the least but we do seem to have a judge uh, and i've been disappointed before as you have but in this case i am really convinced that this judge is not interested in any flannel and BS from the EPA. He wants the science. He's only interested in what the science says. And his basis for making the judgment will be this NTP review and the, um, the BMD analysis. But you are right to be suspicious because, sadly, there is evidence now from confidential sources that there has been pressure put upon the NTP. And so that is right now a very worrying, <laughs> worrying, worrying step of this. So it's uh, once again, we might be confronted with the best science versus <sighs> politics and public relations. Yeah, sad but true. It's just, a, it seems inevitable. Almost every federal regulatory agency has been captured by industry. <laughs> Absolutely. And I take a good example. It's this court case, the EPA that's defending. Oh, that's classic. It, they, they used 
exponent. They used, they didn't use their own experts to win their case and prove that fluoride doesn't low IQ. They used exponent, these consultants that have defended everything from industry for industry, from dioxin to PF, PFOs, everything. They defended everything, including this. And, and our experts were not at all impressed when they were asked questions about exponent. So worst case scenario, industry gets it. The NTP uh, results are whitewashed and essentially irrelevant. And the judge makes a ruling uh, in favor of the EPA and dismisses the case. But what's the best case scenario, assuming that the judge well, is able to sort through all this and give you a, give a, a victorious result? What happens as a result of that? The best case is the judge heard the experts, the three top experts that he, we needed him to hear from. He heard from Philippe Grandjean, Grandjean, who is the world's experts on mercury's neurotoxicity, and Grandjean did the BMD analysis and testified to that effect in court. And we had two of the key authors of the IQ studies, Bruce Lanfear, who is the go-to person at the EP for the EPA when they have a question about lead's neurotoxicity. And we also had Christine Till, who's also a co-author of one of these key, or two of the key IQ studies. And, and it would be worth, I think, for your supporters, readers, to brought up to date on those IQ studies. There have been four key NIH-funded IQ studies. Fabulous methodology, the best methodology to date. In they've been publishing IQ studies from 1988 to the present. These studies, all published since 2017, all funded by NIH, done with the top researchers. And not only did they find this strong relation, two of them, one from Mexico City and one from Canada, <coughs> strong association between the level of fluoride in mother's urine and the baby's IQ, the, the offspring's IQ, but another study which showed um, that <laughs> taking two groups of children from Canada, a large numbers of children, I forgot the exact number, but one group of children was bottle fed with fluoridated, with fluoridated tap water when they were babies, and the other group of children, similar in every other respect you can think of, were bottle-fed with non-fluoridated tap water. So the only difference was whether these babies, whether these children got fluoridated tap water in their formula uh, when they were bottle-fed. And a staggering 13 IQ points uh, drop. Staggering. That's significant. That yeah. is, that is uh, quite astonishing. Yeah. Well, basically... You know, going back to Grandjean's BMD analysis again, he said, right now, the damage to children's brains in the United States is probably greater for fluoride than it is for lead, arsenic, and mercury. Now, he's not saying that atom for atom, fluoride is more toxic than, than lead, mercury, or arsenic. He's not saying that. He's just saying, if you look at what's happening today, fluoride is more doing more damage to our kids' brains than these other well-known neurotoxic substances, lead, mercury, and arsenic. 
And the reason, of course, is the exposure. There are millions of children, millions of children that are being exposed to fluoridated tap water on a daily basis. Millions of pregnant women. Millions. Well, it's probably hundreds of millions. Yeah, well, worldwide, yes, yeah. worldwide. And so, yes, if you look at the total impact of fluoride on children's brains, it's greater now than lead, mercury, or arsenic. And it to think is that, that we, is that individually or collect, co collectively combined? Collective, collectively, yeah. Okay, so that's even more impressive. Then all those put together is still more. Yes, yes, all those put together, it's still more. And um, uh, obviously fluoride has reached the same level as we had in lead when I was involved in my, that's my first environmental health topic was lead's neurotoxicity back in the late 70s. And fluoride is following the same trajectory as lead because basically whether or not you found a neurotoxic effect for lead, was simply a function of how well designed your study was. The better your study was designed, the more likely you were to find that lead was lowering IQ. The same thing is happening with, with um, fluoride. And of course, the big difference since 2017 is looking at the impact on the fetus. And all the arguments we've used to say, look, uh, when you're exposed to a toxic substance, it's worse for a child than for an adult, and it's worse for a baby than a child. Well, now, of course, it's worse for a fetus um, than a baby. It's worse for a fetus than a baby or an infant or a child. So it is extraordinary. And, uh, you know, it's the chickens of bad policy are really coming home to, to roost. Uh, because they took a gamble back in the 1950s that even though they knew that fluoride would cause dental fluorosis in children that would drink fluoridated water, they knew that, but they thought it was a um, trade-off for allowing tooth decay. The gamble was to assume that even though you could damage the enzymes involved in formation of the enamel, a systemic effect, an internal effect, biochemical effect, you, excuse me, you wouldn't be impacting any other tissue in the body. Well, now, of course, and, and to protect that ridiculous hypothesis or notion, they protected it by not doing the studies. Now, led by China, starting in the late 1980s, when they were looking at the health impacts in endemic fluorosis areas, they found that fluoride not only damaged the teeth, Dental fluorosis, damage the bone, um, skeletal fluorosis, and damage the brain. So soon we'll be talking about brain fluorosis as a well-accepted sure. impact of fluoride. So I want to take this back to the lead. I'm wondering if you are familiar with Claire Patterson and his oh, advocacy. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you seem to be the 21st century version of Claire, who was a... a Maybe you could, why don't you relate it? Because I've got my, my memory might be a bit flawed okay. in a bit. What, what's shocking to me is that almost every bit of evidence, there were some marvelous video documentaries that uh, really uh, described in great detail what the process was, and they've all been scrubbed from the internet. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's shocking. The, the nation ran a very good expose on all the shenanigans that went on. 
from my view of it, back in the late 70s, they were attacking the credibility of any uh, scientists who raised the question of, well, look, if lead brings uh, patients or children, if parents bring children to hospital with overt symptoms of brain damage, isn't it likely that lower levels of lead that did not lead mm -hmm. parents to come to hospitals could be damaging their brains in a subtle way? And, and there was huge controversy about this, and they were doing experiments, they were doing these epidemiological experiments, they were finding that prisoners uh, had higher levels of lead, uh, violent prisoners had higher levels of lead than nonviolent prisoners, and they were finding that kids in New York City schools were more hyperactive, uh, less able to concentrate than kids in, uh, uh, in non-fluoridated, uh, sorry, <laughs> no, not exposed to lead. <coughs> But all of these were attacked by the lead industry and the gasoline industry, all in an effort to keep lead in paint in the beginning and then lead in gasoline. And eventually Herbert Needleman, of course, did the classic study in Boston where he found a very strong association with measures of hyperactivity, concentration, behavior in school with the level of lead in their dentine, all double-blind studies, remarkable coalitions with 10 different behavior classifications and the level of lead in the deciduous teeth. And that was the beginning of the end. It still took a few more years. And of course, then, as you know, as they phased lead out of gasoline, the level of lead in the air of cities went down in a parallel fashion, and the level of lead in children's blood went down in a, 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 a similar parallel fashion. And it was Claire Patterson on, I think it was a National Research Council panel, lone voice on this panel, whose work had shown that if you look at cores in the ice in the mm -hmm. Arctic, if you drill down in the Arctic and look at the cores, and then did wafers, you know, sectioned it off. And that is, can be related to time. So the further you go down in your ice core, the further back in time you go, he established, we had no lead exposure essentially in, in the middle ages. Uh, it was only after the industrial revolution that we begin to see the lead uh, in the environment go up and up and up and up. Yeah, and the, the primary motivation for keeping it in, in the uh, environment was the use of uh, lead and gasoline. They had yeah. this incredible mark, marketing campaigns. Like they, they even called, gave it the name of a woman, Ethel, <laughs> Ethel Lead, you know, which is, which is <laughs> chemistry, you're very familiar with uh, what Ethel means, but, uh, but they, uh, you know, ascribed it to a woman. And, here's, uh, here's, some, here's some food for the cynical because the cynical would tell you that it wasn't the America's final realization that they were damaging children's brain with lead. What really ended um, lead in gasoline was they found it was poisoning the catalysts in cars in California. California was way ahead of regulations because of Los Angeles smog and so on. So they were regulating to get that smog out and they were using a very precious metal in the catalyst of the uh, in the converter at the end of the tailpipe and the lead was poisoning that catalyst and so they stopped they forbade the use of leaded gasoline 
So it's protecting yeah. our catalyst, not protecting our kids' brains, which was the final straw. Yeah, that's an interesting story. And as I understand it too, lead's not removed from all fuel. It's, I think it's still an aviation fuel. Yeah. And we still, but we, even when we knew all this, we still continue to export leaded gasoline. Oh, yeah, to foreign countries, sure. Ah, you know. It's, it's, it's reprehensible criminal and criminal behavior. And knowing that we did that not too long ago, it's no surprise that we're seeing similar behavior in this uh, epidemic of, uh, you know, COVID-19. So uh, no surprise. But, uh, you know, your, your uh, valiant efforts to minimize this neurotoxicity, which is a surprising bit of information. Actually, it's astonishing. I was not aware that it was that much more uh, uh, toxic ba based on dose exposure that most people have. Yeah. And all, all of those mercury and lead and yeah. arsenic combined, that's just crazy. Again, you, you know, it just underlines the preposterousness of water fluoridation because none of those other things, lead, mercury, and arsenic, are deliberately added to the drinking water. No, well, <laughs> if they did, then wait, wait. Right. yet, yet. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what crazy new strategy they're going to have uh, to, to drop on us? Who knows? But but in the meantime, we know this is definitely something that sh should be avoided uh, at all costs. So the key thing is is uh, to protect yourself first. You know your typical. If you, if you live in a community that's fluoridated with water, uh, as most of us do, I mean, it's really hard to find one that's not, but if you do, then your tap water should not be uh, consumed unless you go through an appropriate filtration and most filters will not get the fluoride out. So maybe you can address that. And you know, there's only a few types of, types of filtration like reverse osmosis and very specific types of carbon filtration, which is a minority of carbon filters. So maybe you can talk about that. Just the things that people can do to protect themselves from this exposure and their family. My, my preference on that front, and this is what we do incidentally, we drive 20 miles every few weeks to pick up about 40 gallons of spring water. There's a spring. Oh, that's the best. That's the best. Yeah, that's what we are able to do. So I would advise people that before they do anything else, they check to see if they've got a local spring and have it tested if it's any question mm -hmm. about it. But uh, we're very happy with that. We've been drinking this water now for nearly 10 years. It, uh, we use it for drinking and cooking. And uh, as I said, very ha happy with that. But- um, How often do you have to fill that up, the 40 gallons? Well, for us, it's every few weeks. We take a, a, a 40 gallon jugs, and 40 mm -hmm. is plastic. You know, we did switch to some glass bottles, but- uh, Pretty you heavy. Get, you should get some big five gallon ones. You pick yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get eight, eight of them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just, but you just gotta be careful. You break a five gallon water jug. That's a, that's a deadly piece of glass. It could die on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, when I testified before the um, National Research Council, which did its landmark review of fluoride toxicology published in 2006, <laughs> probably the most important day of my involvement in this issue, the big issue for us at that time, we were conscious of the neurotoxicity studies, but we were very early into that. Only about five of the IQ studies have been published then. Now we have 69 IQ studies, which have found a lowering of IQ. But in those days, the big issue 
was what fluoride might be doing to the bones. We we knew about skeletal fluorosis in India and China. um, And we knew there were some studies which showed an increase in hip fracture, but these were kind of balanced out by other studies which didn't find it. So it it was a kind of wash. But what we testified then was, look, look at the levels of fluoride in animal bone which lead to fracture. You know, they take the animal bone and they subject it to mechanical testing and they know exactly what the level of fluoride in parts per million is in those animals' bones when they break. Charles Turner's work. Anyway, um, and we showed that humans would reach these same levels. A lifetime consumption of fluoridated water or earlier would reach those levels. Now, earlier this year, there was a study published in Sweden by I think the name is Helft, H-E-L, no, Helty, H-E-L-T-E, 2021. And what they found in Sweden, they don't, they don't fluoridate their water, but they have natural levels. And they looked at 4,000 Swedish uh, women, and they looked at them from 2004 to 2017, and they had individual measurements of their fluoride exposure. So they worked out their individual measure exposure to, to fluoride. And lo and behold, they found that postmenopausal women drinking the same range of water that we have in fluoridated communities in the United States had a 50% increase uh, prevalence of uh, hip fracture. And as you know, hip fracture is very serious. Um, uh, We have about 300,000 hip fractures in the elderly in the United States. And um, 20, what is it, 20, 30% of those women that get those hip fractures uh, are dead within a year. Uh, Many of them do not regain an independent existence. So hip fractures... I'm sure most people know this. Hip fractures is a very serious issue for elderly people. And so we may be damaging people from womb to tomb, damaging the fetus and then damaging our bones over a lifetime, which has fatal consequences when you reach old age. So getting back to the um, ruling that the judge is going to make, if he rules in your favor, will that likely... uh, set a process in place to lower the amount of fluoridation or even eliminate it? This is a very good question. What it does is it will force, if he rules in our favor, it will force the EPA to do a risk assessment. Nah, um, it might take 20 years. That's right, exactly. That's the, the, if you want to give the highest rating of equality to the EPA, it is its ability to drag its feet when they don't want a result. So yes, that could be serious. What we feel it will do, it will help other countries stop it, in like countries like New Zealand and Ireland and the UK that are not ruled by our EPA. Um, and we could use it, I think, at the state level, I think. And, and local level too. The local level, yes, but we can do that now and that is happening now, but at the state level, especially in the states which have mandatory fluoridation, to take that judge's ruling to them and say, why are you encouraging me? Why are you mandating this? Why are you 
That's a good point. Could, could sorry to interrupt you, but could you elaborate on this? Because I'm confused, and I thought that the ultimate jurisdiction resided locally. But you're saying there are uh, implying there are states that mandate it statewide, and that it doesn't matter what the local uh, ruling on it is. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Minnesota, wow. how many states are there that do that? Yeah, twelve. Twelve. Oh, I, have, I, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Illinois, sure. Minnesota, believe it or not, California. Would you believe Georgia? Um, uh, Kentucky, there was, there was quite okay, a number. So 12. Well, I did not know oh. that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, here's the thing. When you push to shove, EPA, in other words, and you go higher up the ladder, typically they come back and say, well, uh, no, here, if you approach a senator or a representative in Congress, they will say, oh, well, this is not under our jurisdiction. This is a local decision. This is made by communities. Well, not correct. In some, in 12 states, it's made by the state. But um, here's the thing. Even though the federal government does not mandate fluoridation, it promotes it. It's been promoting it ever since the U.S. Public Health Service endorsed it in 1950. And today, the promotion is under the mantle of the Oral Health Division of the CDC. Now, mm. let me explain who they are. There's only about 30 people who are interested in teeth, right? And they're nearly all dentally trained and they work hand in hand with the ADA. So they're a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of supporting fluoridation. And they heavily influence, heavily influence local decisions. So though, although the federal government doesn't accept responsibility of it, they're encouraging communities to do it. Just a few days ago, um, the CDC gave a huge grant to Mississippi to promote fluoridation. So, and of course, our gripe, our gripe, and we've just written a letter to the new head of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, um, being a new face, a new mind, new brain, uh, telling her about these latest IQ studies asking her to put a halt on the program until it's been resolved. And most importantly, let's have a separate group of people at CDC that have credentials which are meaningful. They're a neurotoxicologist or epidemiologist or medical doctors or whatever. The, the, the oral health division only has, um, as I said, dentally trained people. They have one PhD and one MD, that's it. So they don't have specialists keeping up with the literature like these IQ studies. So let's have uh, a level playing field here. Let's have a group at the CDC that promotes fluoridation based upon what they think it does for teeth. And let's have another group of people that regardless of promotion is looking very carefully at all the evidence which indicates harm to the bone, to the brains and, and so on. And it took us about eight weeks, but we finally got a response from Karen Hacker, who's head of a division. Um, I'm trying to find their name. Uh, it's the... Uh, the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion. So important point for us is we've now got engagement at the CDC above 
the oral health division. We don't get these platitudes about how wonderful it is for teeth. And by the way, this oral health division has worldwide influence. There's not a day that goes by that somebody, some doctor, some dentist, some public health official, some politician is saying the CDC says that fluoridation is one of the top public health achievements of the 20th century. So enormous influence, but no responsibility for harm. And one more juicy bit, which I'm sure you'll love in the context of other things which are happening right now. We caught the head of the oral health division in an lie. And oh, bare- I can't believe it. I yeah. can't believe it. A bare-faced lie. He said these NIH-funded studies were done at levels much higher than the water fluoridation programs. Absolute nonsense. They were done either at doses equivalent to what people in fluoridated communities get, or they were actually done in fluoridated communities themselves. And we, we use that as a hook to reach out to Walensky. We weren't after punishment of, of uh, Casey Hannon at the head of the oral health division. We were after a change of policy. Um, he's only doing what all the previous heads of the oral health division have done, which is to promote fluoridation as being safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. I think they got their pay was based upon how many times they said that in public. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's right. So uh, going forward, uh, I guess uh, we're uh, celebrating uh, fluoridation week uh, at Mercola.com. So we're we're requesting people who believe in the mission that you've started about seeking to, uh, I guess, uh, really credentialize this with the, which is so hard to do in the, the government and the, even the academic institutions to, to acknowledge that this, this, uh, damage exists. So, uh, why don't you tell us what the funds will be used for so that you can continue to, uh, promote this mission? Okay, well, number one, of course, in the anticipation that we'll have to bring in expert witnesses to give their commentary on the final results of the NTP, which might be critical of this political manipulation, and, of course, the BMD analysis. So we are anticipating a little mini trial to come up, and that will require some funding um, in the thousands, maybe maybe as much as ten or 20,000. Uh, so... You know, I wasn't a Boy Scout, but I do agree that you should be prepared. You should be prepared. So we we want to fundraise now so we have the money in hand should that be necessary. We're also revamping our website. We have the most fantastic website, fluoridealert.org. But there's so much material, it's difficult for ordinary citizens and even people knowing what they want to find it. So we're going to revamp that website and make it more accessible Uh, for people to use. We have the largest health database in the world, bigger than many governments, nearly all governments, on the health effects of of fluoride. We want to make that more accessible. And then we shall continue to do our education, our motion. uh, We've been for 20 years, we're trying to take truth to power. And our vehicle is to keep as people with an open mind informed about the science, make the science accessible to the 
the public. This is included, incidentally, over the past, translating many of those Chinese studies. The Chinese have been way ahead of the United States in understanding this neurotoxicity issue. And we helped by translating a dozen of those papers, which brought it to the attention of Western researchers and generally helping communities. If a community like right now, Spokane is trying to keep fluoridation out, I think for the fourth time, Calgary is trying to put it back in. That was one of our biggest victories to stop fluoridation was in Calgary. And that's a population of 1.3 million. And they're trying to take this victory away from us, away from the people, uh, by bogus studies. They're claiming that tooth decay has gone up dramatically in Calgary since they stopped fluoridation. And it's simply not true. You know, I, I, as a scientist, I'm just appalled that we have scientists on this planet that will twist the science in order to suit their masters, the paymaster. I mean, I, I never thought that. You know, I got to a point when I was teaching science and chemistry at St. Lawrence when I bumped into the Spanish teacher. He says, how are you, Paul? How are you? <laughs> Only in, you know, crossing in the quadra. We're normally what you do, Joe, I'm sure you do. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? And you walk on. But this time, I was so mad. I said, actually, uh, what was his name? Actually, uh, Glenn, um, I am, I am absolutely, um, oh, what did I say? I was absolutely, no, I'm absolutely very, very, very upset. Very, very upset. I, I'm so upset I want to stop teaching chemistry. I don't want to teach chemistry anymore. So, what, 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 why do you say that? Why do you say that? I said, well, I don't want to teach students, young people, all about the scientific method. And then they take everything I teach and they go and apply it in the real world for some consulting company or some government, etc. only to have their own government tear it up in front of them. I said, I don't, I, I said, I know this is happening. I don't want to be part of it anymore. I don't want to be part of the first part to sow the illusion of scientific integrity, the scientific method, get the facts and so on. And so it's really, I mean, I suppose I was very naive. Um, uh, I think this fluoridation issue has removed every last shred of naivety from me. But um, anyway, our mission is to get this information to as many people as possible. So with their help, we can take this information to to the power structures and we're doing it in federal court and we're doing it with our website. And right now we're doing it with, by engaging with people above the oral health division at the CDC. All right, well, thank you for the summary and the description of what these funds will be used for. I think we're matching. So if everyone to donate something, I'm gonna be personally donating to match that. Uh, to provide That'd the support. That, that could be quite a bit of money, Joe. You seriously, you serious about that? I mean, usually you set a limit. Why don't you be fair to? All right. Well, we'll 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 look at it. But I typically do. Okay. That, so. All right. No. Yeah, no so. You've been so incredibly generous to us over many years. I I don't think without your support we wouldn't be where we were today. So yeah, we'll we'll figure that out. And but the key point is that we can help support you. I mean, we all need clean water. Fortunately, or hopefully, you understand this and are implementing strategies to make sure. I mean, the I, I doubt many are going to the extreme that 
uh, Paul is and gathering 40 gallons a few, every few weeks from a natural spring, that is the optimal ideal. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't do that. So I, most of us rely on filtration systems yeah. to do it. But the key is you cannot expose you and your family to fluoride. It's, it's a toxic poison. And, uh, you know, we've talked about Mercury and Charlie. Um, Brown has been so effective at removing it from dental amalgams. Uh, but as you heard, you know, I mean, it definitely mercury is, is a poison, but yeah. the, the practical real world experience that nearly everyone in this country has, is has a, a collectively, a significantly higher exposure to fluoride because it's mandated in most communities we put in the water system. So yeah. this is something that desperately needs to be changed. We're making progress. So your continued support would be deeply appreciated. Yeah, we want clean water, clean science, honest science, and clean politics. Boy, that's a tough triple. Yeah, yes, it is. But uh, we can always hope. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe, very, very much. All right. Well, thanks for all your work and your perseverance and uh, coming back because I neglected to mention this, but you were the not only the founder, but you were the executive director, I believe, or you ran the whole show over then. And then you retired. But oh, no, you I'm back. I've been back for a few years now. I'm still the director. I, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. I didn't didn't know that because I know you, you had retired for a while and let yeah. your son Michael take over. Yeah. But now you're back. So that's great because <laughs> the world needs you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And the world needs you too. All right. Well, teamwork is what makes it work. So, Absolutely. all right. So we appreciate your support for this noble mission to limit the population's exposure to this toxic poison.